Oh, oh, Rudy, um, I wanted to tell you something. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you putting me in this movie. Because I ain't never seen nobody that looks like me up there on that big screen. You know what I'm saying? Oh, shit. I may not be sexy, but I'm a real woman. And I really appreciate what you did for me. So thank you. She would suck, <laughs> I would suck, and we, we would suck, suck together when we have a Welcome to part two of our Dolomite Is My Name episode. But before we get into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So, as usual, we're going to start with the ground floor, the $1 tier, the Travoltis. What do you get for a dollar if you join our patron? Well, you get all the stuff that doesn't make it into the episode, the cutting room floor segments, as we call them. Every month, also, you'll get access to at least one bonus episode. This month, the bonus episode has been decided by the same person who made us watch Dolomite as My Name, and that is Dan Brennick. And... uh Again, I'm going to say unsurprisingly, like I said at the beginning of Trader's Quarter, uh, he's making us watch the actual Dolomite movie, the, the OG Dolomite, the one that they're they're making in Dolomite is my name. I guess it's it's necessary to complete oh, the yeah. journey. It's a very good one, too. It's like, how, how could we not? How could we not do it? Uh, will we like it? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but the only way to find out is if you join our patron at least on the $1 tier. So you can get that bonus episode. It should be out by the end of the month. Also, available for everybody on the patron channel, the Lohan miniseries. So we're done with part two. Should be out soon. We're gearing up to record part three. There's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting movies that that Lindsay Lohan made and her uh, during this period that we're going to be covering. Uh, to say the least. I was talking to somebody about this. I think my friend, our friend Eddie, and uh, he asked if we were doing... Uh, he, he asked why you hadn't put forward... Uh, is it I Know Who Killed Me? That movie sucks, dude. We're going to talk about it, but that's... I've watched that movie once in my life, and I'm never doing it again. And <laughs> the three that we chose for part three, I've never seen. And, you know, to varying degrees, have morbid curiosities about. Uh, so we will talk about I Know Who Killed Me. I saw that in the theater, uh, but it was oh. just it was some, a bridge I couldn't go back to. I couldn't cross <laughs> it again. That's all right. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I am going to watch it just for for completion sake. But uh, no, I think I'll, I'll have my plate full just with the three we're covering. Uh, which I, would, is, I would concur with that. I know it's uh, the canyons. What's the the one that has, is it? Twenty six months, twenty six years. Chapter twenty seven. Chapter twenty seven. God, this is way off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's the middle one? Labor pains. Labor with, pains. Uh, Cheryl Hines returning to the Lohan miniseries. All right, so that's Lohan. There's of course all the other stuff that we're ready put out month after month since we opened uh, the Contreras. Content, pal. Content. <laughs> well branded content. So you have access to that. Now you want to move up a tier to the Winonis tier and upwards. You also get access to our pre-recording notes, 
You also get access to our quick video reviews. Uh, this month, I mean, we're loaded. We have to catch up on the, the dual QVR for Bad Genius, uh, mm-hmm. which Ryan asked us to do. And then Katie and Oti want us to do Bullet Train, which they sound like they're very different movies. <laughs> I would expect them to be. <laughs> so it'll be, a, it'll be a nice change of pace between all, all the, the Lohan movies, whatever Bad Genius is. I just know it's from Thailand. And then Bullet Train, which is a, an action movie. Good stuff uh, on the quick video review front. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. In this case, we're going to have a little bit of a a joint After Hours, Alex, uh, somewhat inspired by the fact that yesterday I went and saw Hairspray, the musical, on stage so, I mean, I was going to tell you about that to begin with, but then that got me thinking about Hairspray, the movie adaptation of the musical, which we covered years ago during the summer of Travolta. And yes. uh, I've changed in the years since, the world has changed in the years since, and I feel like I have I have extra thoughts about Hairspray, the movie. And then I felt like I should watch the the original John Waters movie, the the one that started it all, to just have a fully formed idea of uh, hairspray as a cultural phenomenon. And and you haven't seen it, so uh, I I invite you to take this journey with me. It's it's on Max, the the OG hairspray, and and we can talk about it in after hours. Fired up, John Waters, good man. I'm excited to cover a blind spot with this one, and Jerry Stiller's in that. So it's got a fascinating cast. Have you looked at the cast for it? I just know uh, Divine plays uh, Edna. I'll let you uh, find out these other things on your own then. Oh, I know. I know uh, um, Ricky Lake is mm-hmm. <laughs> the first Nikki Blonsky. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Let's 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 talk about Hairspray. We talked All about right. the other one before, and this will uh, we'll close the loop with this one. Expect a lot of Corny Collins love. Yeah. <laughs> So that'll be on After Hours, just a, a hairspray extravaganza. If that sounds good, or if anything else that we'll be talking about sounds good, then just go check out our patron, patreon.com slash contrarian prime. You can look at our tiers, decide if you want to join the contrarian supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10, as Julio broke down the tiers. Uh, go over there, just throw us a buck, take a look around, see what you like. And eventually you'll want to give us more money because you'll think of some movie that Julio and I would never think to cover on the main feed or just in general, and you'll get to demand that we do so. And, of course, $1 gets you access to all of our previous bonus episodes going all the way back to uh, the days of Blue is Warmest Color and anything else we've talked about on there since. Our Rock Cena miniseries, Mega Series, and the Lohan Undertaking, which has just begun. Uh, to all of our current patrons, God bless y'all. We love you dearly. And as I like to end the spiel with, we are always taking, reviewing, and quickly approving applications for new patrons. So, there you go. Rudy, you looking hot now. Oh yeah, put your weight on it. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. Hey, I found a review. What's that say? Julio, the reason for this episode, of course, is one of our wonderful patrons, and uh, I'm curious how he feels about the movie we're discussing here. Dolomite is my name, but as we like to do, we save... uh, our patrons for the main event. So let me hear what you're able to find in terms of critics that did not like this movie. I forgot to mention earlier that uh, Dan also requested that you do all of real talk speaking as Rudy Ray Moore. 
So have fun with that, Alex. It's too late for that, man. (laughs) Alex Mattis is my name. (laughs) Collecting physical media is my game. (laughs) All right. So got a few rotten quotes because there are people that didn't like this movie. And we're going to start with Brian Lowry from CNN.com, who says, There's an underdog charm to the bones of the story and a lot of nifty touches about the era. Still, Dolomite bogs down during the making of the film in a way that even the closing credits can't wholly redeem. Do you think it slows down once they start making the movie, Alex? No. (laughs) It has a pretty uh, justified runtime. Doesn't make it to two hours. Nope. Cuts off right beforehand. Brian... How do you feel about movies post uh, COVID now? When everything is three hours, <laughs> do you feel like they start bogging down after the first one? Next, Adam Naiman from The Ringer says, "Good vibes are infectious only to a point, and two hours of strenuously conflict-free hijinks with didactic dialogue asserting Moore's importance eventually gets wearying." Cool man. <laughs> he he got tired of being told how important. Rui Ray Moore was. Do you think Adam Naiman is white, (laughs) Alex? (laughs) Couldn't tell you, man. (laughs) Um, One more. Uh, Chuck Bowen from Slant Magazine says, After its promising first act, Craig Brewer's film becomes a series of fleeting bits, allowing questions to pile up. What questions? Why am I having fun, Chuck Bowen? Is that the question? (laughs) All right, and now the spotlight falls on Dan Brennick, and uh, he just sent me a link to his letterbox review. He gave Dolomite four stars and a heart. Watch October 25th, 2019. It's just a series of bullet points. Uh, first, he says, Eddie Murphy is wonderful. Next, he says, the filmmaking aspects of the movie are the most interesting parts. Next, he says, wonderful message about a can-do attitude. Next, he says, the first 40 minutes feels low because I don't understand the Dolomite comedy style. And then he closes by saying, I love this movie. Definitely a lock for my best of the year list. Best of the year back in 2019. Dan can be a tough customer. So to to see him just be so over the moon uh, about this is is almost as awe-inspiring as uh, (laughs) Dolomite is my name itself. Yeah, that's... I uh, I appreciate his honesty in saying he doesn't really understand the Dolomite style of comedy, but uh, it was the style at the time, clearly. <laughs> Is it not the style anymore? I'm sure it is for some people. It's like a version of Slam Poetry. Yeah, for me, that's he's just cutting wrestling promos. It's like, you know, what... <laughs> I, you <It's> know, true. <laughs> well, it, it's... Muhammad Ali, obviously, had existed prior to this, and... um. But of course, his raps, like, and you know, his promos and shit were never vulgar or profane to the extent that these are. Uh, so it obviously probably felt like you were seeing something you shouldn't. It was like listening to Marilyn Manson when you were 13 or something. Like, oh man, this is, this is dangerous. Um, it's worth calling out immediately to kick us off pretty much that Murphy has stated that a biopic of Rudy Ray Moore had long been a dream project for him. He initially met with screenwriters Alexander and Karazowski in 2003 
and they began developing the project. Murphy arranged a meeting between the two writers and Moore, who told him many of his life stories before his death in 2008. However, the early attempts to make the film never came to fruition. On June 7th, 2018, it was announced that Craig Brewer would direct Dolomite Is My Name from a script from Alexander and Karazowski with Netflix producing and distributing. Eddie Murphy was set to star as Moore. Later that month, the rest of the principal cast was announced. In July of 2018, Chris Rock and Ron Cephas Jones joined the cast. Principal photography began on June 12, 2018. Nicholas Joseph von Sternberg, the director of photography for the original Dolomite, visited the set during filming. According to Brewer, he contributed additional stories that didn't make it into the film. <laughs> so Craig Brewer, director of Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan, the Footloose remake, Katy Perry, part of me. Remember that movie? I know you own it. Because it was gifted to us by whatever studio put it out. And uh, since has directed Coming to America 2, which was obviously Eddie's follow-up to this. So the our star attraction here, Eddie Murphy, this was deemed as his comeback story. Since then, he's Coming to America 2, as I just mentioned. Uh, that Netflix movie with Jonah Hill, You People, which I still haven't seen. And um, he's got a new Beverly Hills Cop coming out at some point, TBD. And he's got a couple uh, untitled donkey spinoff of uh, Shrek fame. (laughs) (laughs) And around the time of the release of Dolomite Is My Name, he hosted Saturday Night Live, which was for many years thought to that it was never going to happen. Uh, the first time he showed back up was the 40th anniversary back in 2015 when he came out and just like, you know, had his very politician. (laughs) I'm, I'm here for, um, visibility and also to kind of get my moment in the sun. Do you know the whole story about what happened Saturday night live? No, no, I didn't know there was drama. Oh my God. Um, there's, it's a really funny story you can find like a lot of accounts of. So I definitely recommend looking further into it, but the short and skinny is that he pretty much saved Saturday night live single-handedly in the eighties. And then in the nineties, when David Spade had his weekend update segment, the Hollywood minute, I can't remember which movie it was, uh, but he put a picture of Eddie Murphy on the screen and said, look, children, a falling star. And Eddie did not take too kindly to this. And pretty much everyone has told the story. David Spade's account of it is hilarious. He called 30 Rock, got Spade on the phone and just motherfucked him to the living end. Like, about, like you know, the fuck I am and all this shit. And for years, he held that against and he wouldn't come on Saturday Night Live or, you know, do anything for it. Uh, so... When he showed back up for the 40th anniversary, uh, he hosted in 82 and 84 and then in 2019. So it was a long time before he was on the show again. And then in 2015, which I believe was the year of the 40th anniversary special, he was announced he was going to be there. And it was kind of like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? And I think people were hopeful he was going to do something. And he didn't really. Chris Rock introduced him and gave this big like rah-rah you know, we wouldn't be where we were without him. And he just came out. I think he talked for like 30 seconds. He was like, you know, being here is an honor. Thank you. It was the Joe Pesci Oscar acceptance (laughs) speech pretty much. And so it was pretty disappointing, but then he 
when he hosted in 2019, I remember that was kind of the holy shit, this is happening, and it was okay. Uh, he reprised Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, mm, and I remember that um, one. he they did a Black Jeopardy skit where he was Velvet Jones. the The main one I remember that was really funny was uh, it was a North Pole special report, like a you know whatever the CNN equivalent uh, at the North Pole that plays is, and it was like uh, he was an elf. And he was like grabbing the microphone and uh, trying to explain that they work under awful circumstances in the <laughs> workshop that are being covered up and like elves are getting killed by polar bears. It was, and, and, you know, it was Eddie Murphy doing it like in the camera, like yelling and screaming. So it was really <laughs> funny. Um, Do you remember the so, musical guest? Uh, no. Who was it? Oh, I don't know. I just wanted to think of Eddie Murphy going, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Um, according to our friends at snl.fandom.com, which I constantly reference, it was Lizzo. So it was, ladies and gentlemen, no, I can't do it. Uh, (laughs) So Eddie, he would have, he probably would have had like his restrained ladies and gentlemen, Lizzo, not like a big yell or anything. Ladies and gentlemen, Lizzo. So. Not just from SNL, but obviously Eddie Murphy has had uh, periods of um, inconsistency, perhaps would be a word, but he's always made money. That's the thing. It's that it's kind of like Adam Sandler. You know, we can joke all we want about the shit he puts out, but uh, more often than not, you know, Nutty Professor made two hundred seventy five million dollars. Dr. Doolittle made $300 million. Um, let's see. What else is something that people would criticize him for? Norbit. $160 million. Meet Dave was the one I remember was a huge bomb. And that movie somehow had a budget of $60 million. That's always the funny part about the Eddie Murphy movies. He uh, Imagine that. That's another one that bombed. What was the... Oh, fuck. What, a thousand words. Didn't that bomb too? Bomb. It those Eddie Murphy movies always have like a, a high budget for what the actual movie is because Eddie's getting paid, man. And that's <laughs> people bank on him because and those Shrek movies always make seven trillion dollars each. And the what was that? Tower Heist. I know that was a ensemble movie, but him being in it like as part of an ensemble cast was one of the big selling points. He was one of the only na- like he, him and Ben Stiller, I think, were the two top build that made one hundred and fifty million dollars. So you understand why he does these things. Uh, But he's also an actor that at the beginning, man, talk about potential. I don't really know. I I can't because I wasn't alive when it happened. Understand how big of a deal Eddie Murphy was. But I've been able to read and I've been able to watch, you know, things from that time period and see you know just the the facts of how big of an impact of, of a movie star and Saturday night live that he made and you know we've watched 48 hours and another 48 hours and just how captivating he was as a performer and just how commanding of the screen he was and then the pretty much after another 48 hours just the curiosity that became his filmography and the things he did and chose to do. And, and the one thing you can't say is he's, he, you know, he's done all the stuff he doesn't want to. He clearly wants to do all the shit he does. Man's got a lot of money. So when something comes along like dream girls, which I believe he, he got an Oscar nomination for, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then when he didn't win, he just left. Yeah, I think people are quick to forget. So I made the Adam Sandler analogy. And here's the thing with Sandler. Sandler is capable of greatness. And we know that. But the way we all learned of who Sandler was, was and like Billy Madison and shit like that. So for Eddie Murphy to have just this string of fucking bangers and just show so much freaking potential and then kind of go on this quizzical run of like, okay, well, he's making money, but, <laughs> and then just kind of, he shows back up. I remember Dream Girls came out. I remember talking to like my contemporaries and being like, man, Eddie Murphy can act. I'm like, yeah, he can. <laughs> this is not news. And so for things to have been kind of quiet for a few years, he made a movie called um, Mr. Church in 2016 that was uh, him and Britt Robin- Robertson. I don't know who that is, but looks like it was a, a lower budget uh, drama that did not do well um, critically or financially. But my point being, for him to show back up in this, and about a movie uh, uh, about a subject that's fascinating to say the least and then just to kill it and kind of remind people who he is it's fun to watch it's strange just because you know you and i have both lived through decades of it, you know what's eddie gonna do next but <laughs> i don't know i i fear i could be higher on him in this movie than you are but i was just like fuck yes dude like this this is remind people who you are, Eddie. Go off, brother. Was this like watching uh, The Way of Water and how you felt about Cameron? You're like the king is back. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, the differences in this too. Wesley Snipes is fucking fantastic, but that we're talking about our <laughs> star here. Both of them, and I couldn't believe this was the first time they were ever in a movie together. You know that just for the eras they came from, it just sound that sounds wrong. You know. But tell me, are, are you on board with Eddie Murphy in this? I thought he killed it. Yes. Yeah. And that is without having the, the attachment you do to to him and his persona. I mean, I, I, I like them. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it uh, whenever we've done some of his other movies uh, that I I grew up watching uh, Coming to America. Like that was kind of like on the rotation. And uh, that's a movie that I still like. And uh, I, I want to say I've seen like enough of Beverly Hills Cop, like... <laughs> one and two to kind of have that idea of like, I knew who Eddie Murphy was and, and so on. So it's not that I watch him just kill it and Dolomite is my name. And I go, yes, I recognize he's doing what, what he used to do when, when I liked him to me, it's just like, Oh, he's, he's doing great. And I'm just glad that all these years later, he still rose to relevance. And it's not, yes, he has so much money and all that stuff, but th- there's something satisfying about, uh, you know, cause I imagine a lot of people, maybe even myself included, wrote him off in the last few years. Kind of like a lot of people probably wrote Sandler off. And it's just always nice when you get somebody, a performer that surprises you by being in a really good movie that uses their talent really well. And it shows that it it gives you that feeling of like, okay, what's going to happen next with them, right? Like Uh Sandler after, uh, probably after Punch Drunk Love, but to me it's obviously more more recent in memory as after... Uncut gems. Uncut gems. It's, it's like, okay, what happens next? What's his next movie? What's the next move? Uh, and then same thing with After Dolma Days My Name. It was the same. I remember thinking, all right, what do we do next? I remember watching the Saturday Night Live and feeling like 
he is, is he just back like embracing the mainstream in a, in a cool way again i haven't seen uh coming to america 2 the the reception was mixed from what i remember mm. and uh and that took the wind out of my sails a little bit especially because i i mean you know, i like the first one i don't think it needs a sequel but but i think it's too soon to tell if you know covid kind of like fucked everything up in the sense that you can't really see if if Dolomite is my name was kind of like this flash in the pan or or if it's just that it's something that's going to have a long lasting impact but it's modeled right now because the entire world was shut down like the entire movie industry was shut down for a couple of years you know so mm-hmm. you haven't really had time for that to to really grow and expand the way that uh, that it would have if if all the projects everything had kept running through 2020 2021 and so on so too soon to tell. I, I remember, you know, the, the comeback feeling back when Dreamgirls happened, and then it peering out. And I, I hope that's not the case here. Again, Eddie Murphy can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. He can afford it too. But as a member of the audience, I, I, I would like it if he did a movie like Dolomite Is My Name. You know, every few years, just kind of like to keep us on our toes. And if you want to make more uh, family-friendly stuff, you know, if he if he has to do the donkey spinoffs, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not gonna go see them, but uh, clearly, I mean, the, they they make money. The first Shrek is legitimately good. I, I don't really remember much of the other ones, but I remember the first one being great. And yeah, he's but, funny in it. But at this point, it's like the novelty of him playing Donkey. Yes, it's, it's played yes. out. Same thing with like Banderas. I've heard. I mean, fuck the the new uh, Puss in Boots movie was nominated for an Oscar. And I've I've heard that it. it was really good actually. But and I love Antonio Banderas, but I just don't have the drive to go see it. You know, I'd rather see him do something exciting. <laughs> Give me Banderas and Dolomite is my name. Like you know, his version of Dolomite is my name. Yeah. Same thing. After you see Eddie Murphy and Dolomite is my name, it's not like that makes me want to see him play donkey again you know but this is great i I think he's really funny and much like dan i was not familiar at all with the comedy stylings of dolomite and that type of Mm -hmm. comedy it didn't get in the way of me enjoying the the beginning of the movie but it was definitely something where i was like i i don't know what this is (laughs) i guess you are familiar with it like you said it's like the predecessor of wrestling promos some folks say will agree I mean, it's part of it. It's uh, I mean, get into Muhammad Ali and Gorgeous George if we're going down that road. But um, look, there's an aspect of this that I'm not even going to pretend to relate to because I can't. You can't. The aspect of like early 70s black culture and kind of what was in and some of the things that were moving, uh, changing and in motion and uh, shifting is the word I was looking for there. And in terms of like what was enjoyable and what seemed kind of groundbreaking at the time. And I could see, like I said, this isn't uh, what I can. I can make illusions or analogies or comparisons to things that I am familiar with of like, well, this is different. This is new. This is this feels kind of dangerous. Feels like something I shouldn't be, you know, watching or listening to or buying. So I can um, understand where the initial like reception came from. Can also understand too people being like, "The fuck are you talking about? No, we can't do this." It's <laughs> you know, seventy five is when this movie came out, and the Ramones 
first album was in 77 and people you know blitzkrieg bop is like an all-time pop song and people heard that are like what the hell is going on what are these people doing <laughs> uh but i knew of dolomite like i said because of just the types of movies i watch and you know it's dolomite-esque or you know dolomite level that type of thing of what people compare it to so i always had an idea in my mind of what it was i did not know the making of it was this interesting or this uh winding of a road twisted of a tail what have you now when you watch it do you get the feeling that they really i, I don't mind the choice of of making it so so much like a fairy tale right I, i'm like there's yeah. no way it was this easy and i'm not saying that obviously the movie depicts some hardships but it's kind of like what i was joking about in the trans corner right he all he has to do is kind of like persevere and then that's it. It all works out. And I have a hard time believing that it was that easy, that there were not like more serious losses along the way. I think it's interesting that the movie decided to, no, what we're going to do is we're going to just make a crowd pleaser. We're going to just yes. make sure everybody leaves with a smile on their faces. We're not going to think about anything bad. It's just this very wholesome message of like, if you want something, go for it and don't ever give up because you it it's will eventually a, pay off. It is a very very safe movie that just happens to have two really like outstanding performances in it it is just by the books in love with wesley snipes you want to marry wesley snipes and have his babies wesley snipes is fantastic in this movie man (laughs) i know i don't want to have his babies because i don't want to inherit that debt (laughs) look it comes from a place of that of how wesley snipes has become a punchline for me Yes, he's Blade. They brought him back in The Expendables 3, which I never even saw. But he's just done all this shit like for years and years and years because, you know, poor choices he made. And I don't even have like a sentimental attachment to him at all. You know, New Jack City's dope. King of New York. I like The Fan. A lot of people talk shit about that movie. I like The I, Fan. I, I like The Fan. I think I own The it, Fan. It's just, I'm sorry. It was just so unexpected. Because I knew Eddie Murphy was supposed to be good, and I expected that. And I just was not expecting this Wesley Snipes performance. Because it's fascinatingly layered. He's clearly, like, drinking the entire time, but it's never really, like, overtly drawn attention to. And specifically the last scene he's there where he's trying to hype up Dolomite. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the levels of the acting of just things that you it, he... He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to do it, but he wants to see if he can make the best of this because he realizes his name's going to be on it. And when it's over, how he just walks out. It's probably because I enjoyed the the ending that character had too because when he leaves, that's it. And yep. he doesn't come back and he's just like, fuck y'all, I'm out of here. Just a very, very good supporting performance. But I agree with what you were saying. The movie plays it remarkably safe and to the point of almost kind of funny. That That would be the biggest knock I have on the movie is that it's just so formulaic and paint by numbers. And as we talk about all the time on here, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I'm with you also. It's one of the best exchanges in the entire movie, but it's also one of the ones that maybe like, yes, but this, you know, this suit over here at the studio has got a point where he tells Rudy, you know, you're not supposed to make a movie just for five blocks of the country. And he says, well, that's fine because there's those same five blocks in every town. And that's, again, a part of culture that I'm not going to pretend like I can relate to or understand because it's completely separate from me and that culture. That's 
I'm a white guy, man. Uh, <laughs> but there's also the aspect of that of like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like the he was so short sighted in what he was doing and the production that went into it that I'm with you completely. There's there's no way it was as easy as it makes it out to be here. Um, I guess now's as good time as any to go back to what I was kind of alluding to in Contrarian's Corner. Uh, Owen Gleiberman described Murphy's performance as some kind of comeback writing as the brash hustler who made Dolomite. Eddie Murphy has his best role in years in a film that's like a black exploitation answer to the disaster artist. He plays Rudy as a cheap but priceless carny barker of his own ego. Uh, are we synchronized, Julio, in that this is a better movie than The Disaster Artist? Yes. I, I'm curious to hear your reasons, because mine is pretty simple. I just enjoy this one more. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it fills me with joy. The Disaster Artist, I feel like I'm just laughing at those people. And in this one, I'm laughing with them. I'm laughing with the crew. And, you know, like, they're not the joke. I think that this movie really cares for its characters. In the disaster, yes. disaster artist is just more like, aren't they idiots? Like, I don't think that the movie really, the disaster artist doesn't really care for Tommy Wiseau. And if it tries to tell you that it does, it doesn't come across as genuine. Exactly. And the disaster artist is also like the story of the room is one of just complete delusion. And, you know, even just the outline of this story of uh, Rudy Ray Moore and the Dolomite character and just the thought of, that's what we're talking about earlier, like the land of opportunity and dreams. Like no one, I believe that he had no idea what goes into making a movie. And he just added like, yes, there is a big part of it that gets glossed over that. It's clearly just this dude's ego was like out of control. And he needed <laughs> when he got to a certain level, he's like, I need to, you know, I'm going to be a star of a movie. God damn it. But it comes from a place of just kind of like adorable naivety versus mm -hmm. just at like abject delusion and um, idiocy. And so, I enjoy that story more. Well, I, I also enjoy now. This is just splitting hairs uh, because nobody, I don't know how many people really are asking for a, a blow by blow comparison between Dolomite, that's my name, and the disaster artist. But even as far as protagonists, I mean, you can see it, it's a little bit like, uh, like Michael Scott in The Office, right? Like where you're like, he's an idiot. But you can see every now and then they'll give him these moments where you see what he's good at and you understand in the best episode, at least, how is it that he has a certain status in the company? And here mm -hmm. with Rudy, yes, there's a lot of stuff he doesn't know and a lot of a lot of aspects of filmmaking and the business that he's naive about, but he's also very clever about other aspects of it. And he's very street smart, so that kind of compensates. And it just makes it more enjoyable to see him. Like, you, you know, you understand why you can buy that he eventually succeeds because he... He's smart enough to do it. So, yeah, with, with the disaster artist, it's just more like it doesn't make sense, but it happened anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I enjoy it more. I mean, I enjoy the disaster artist fine, but this is... That also, like, the, it makes me mad every time I remember $6 million were wasted on that movie. That could have gone to literally anything else in the world. They're, they're in, this is, I think, a place you and I have differed historically. Uh, and I'm looking forward to watching Dolomite because of it is I love that like shoestring budget, someone holding something up. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the most famous shot in that movie is they just put a camera on a fucking skateboard and pushed it because they mm -hmm. couldn't afford like a dolly. Like 
that that to me is so much more endearing like the scene the the sex scene where they're moving the the frames up and down the wall like so the disaster artist and just the room in general it makes me angry when in that movie skips no detail about how much just frivolous spending there was and just waste of resources so that that's where we can end that there it's, well I, I would i would take it off as in because this is something else that i think it's it's an asset to Dolomite is my name. Because you're right. Yes, there is a, there's an in that you don't have and I don't have when it comes to the importance of Rudy Ray Moore and what he did and what this movie is doing as far as just black culture, right? And the, the mm-hmm. but, uh, but I think that we can still appreciate the argument it makes, the story tells about representation. Hey man, what the fuck is this? This shit ain't funny. I I don't get it. What the fuck are they talking about? Who was Herbert Hoover? And it ain't no brothers in it either. Absolutely. You know, and it's such a it's such a big conversation going on for the past few years, and the idea that I I just love that it doesn't. I mean, it's a hundred percent about it, but it also never really. Uh, underlines it so much that it it undercuts the comedy or just like the sense of fun, you know. It never gets preachy, but it's it's really th- it, that scene about the front page, right? Where he's like, "It's just a bunch of white dudes that are not funny to us. So why shouldn't we make a movie that is that has us up there, people like us doing things that we find funny?" And that is universal, you know. I think that that is something that we can all understand, and obviously. If you're one of those people that doesn't understand why representation is important, then of course this is going to go over your head, or it might even irritate you. But I, I just love that you know that there's yeah. he he becomes this almost by accident. I think he becomes this crusader for representation, and uh, he might be doing it just because he wants. You know, I don't think that he's thinking globally. He's just like it doesn't make sense to me that there's not people like us up there in the movies. <laughs> it, 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 I think that's an aspect of it. Well, I don't. Maybe the less said, the better. Like the, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, the idea of he was achieving something greater than he may have intended to. Like you know, of just the idea of oh, well, like there there could be a part of him at the end where um, Lady Reed, you know, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity because I never saw anyone like me before on camera. He's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. You know, I just wanted to make a movie. <laughs> that would have been the. Um- that's the Lauren Miller version of the script where they uh, they have to undercut that very emotional scene. <laughs> uh, yeah. So back to your point, I may cut you off, but like, I think, I think there is an interesting thing you could read to there of like, he just, you know, he wanted to make a movie for him and his boys. And then in the process kind of did something greater. And that's a lot of important art is that it's not, that's a problem now too is so many people set out to i'm going to change the world with this thing instead of just thinking like wouldn't it be cool if like there was something that we liked like me and my friends and then Mm -hmm. in the process you learn there's people all over the world that this means something to so i like what you're saying i agree with what you're saying about what it says about representation without beating you over the head with it i mean it's right there i mean i think that anybody that's just even remotely aware of what's you know, of the world we live in would just pick up on that. And I don't know if maybe this was just for an after hours, or maybe something that we're talking about before we start recording sometime. But I remember being kind of blown away whenever I would 
accidentally walk into some sort of discussion for people that refuse to acknowledge that the fact that Black Panther was like a big hit was a big deal. You know, and I was like, yeah. you don't have to like the movie, but surely you understand why it's important that there's this black superhero out there just making a gazillion dollars and, and having little kids dressed like him and all the stuff, right? And they would be like, uh, no, that doesn't matter. I, I don't get it. And yes, they were <laughs> Tough white. shit. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's there. And I think that it's, you know, you you watch it here and you see it play out and it's very easy to pick up on it and it's just something else that makes it cool that and and the idea that you can have critical reception and it could be wrong it, you know all those people show up to the premiere of the movie despite the fact that critics obviously didn't like it and they show up and they have a great time and it's just you know it's the celebration of popular entertainment which is just mm-hmm. again very joyous so yeah i i, I like it a lot i i don't <laughs> final word on the on the disaster artist like i don't get that from that movie that movie is also funny and entertaining but that has the cynicism that that i don't get here you know that movie is just more like yeah it doesn't make sense none of it makes sense it shouldn't work but somehow it did whereas like this one is like of course it worked because he he really believed in it and he worked really hard and Mm -hmm. that's sometimes you just want to watch a movie like that it's rewarding as an audience member so, so Wesley Snipes is your favorite because I think Lady Reed is the the MVP. Everyone's really good. Lady Reed's really good. I I'm not familiar with um, Divine Joy Randolph. Appears to be a uh, young lady's name. Um, the the Wesley Snipes love is again. It just kind of came from completely out of left field for me. I knew he was in it, but I almost thought it just was like an extended cameo into one scene. Uh, Snoop Dogg is a national treasure. Uh, Keegan Michael Key, Mike Epps, Craig Robinson, and Titus, all to the degree they're able to do things, mm-hmm. are very entertaining. There's not really much for any of them to do. I was kind of being serious that Titus is fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and all he really gets to do in this is just kind of make facial expressions in the background. But yes, Lady Reed was very good. The scene at the bar where she's like, I ain't no lady, or whatever she says, you know, you know. Uh, woman or something she she's you know lacking self-esteem and you could argue she's the character with the arc in this because rudy Mm -hmm. ray moore's confidence is the same for the entire movie he gets down on his luck but he always thinks he's going to be a big deal she's the one that goes from like lowest moment to highest high in the end yeah yeah rudy doesn't learn anything i don't think uh which is fine (laughs) again this movie is a good example that maybe sometimes you know it's okay if your protagonist doesn't have an arc. <laughs> he just <laughs> believes in himself at the beginning, still believes in himself at the end. And it works out. And yeah, Lady Reed actually grows and becomes more confident. The real the real arc is uh, for uh, Saul Goodman, who learns to appreciate uh, the comedy stylings of Rudy Ray Moore. Okay, there was no way I could work that into Contrarian's Corner, but that is one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is when he goes on his big spiel about how you're not going to take my shit from me and sell it. And, you know, he tries to basically, you know, false them and call their bluff that, you know, I I know what I'm doing. And he gets in his face and Bob Odenkirk's face and is like, you know, you're not going to bully me, whatever he says, you know, he tries to intimidate him. And then Odenkirk says, are you going to rip my guts out now? And that's immediately what switches the flip with uh, Eddie Murphy because he realizes this guy actually watched the movie. Yep. And like appreciates that. And I, I thought that was a 
a genuinely like dudes rock moment. <laughs> they shake hands. Odenkirk laughs, and then then we're off. He he does the white guy thing where he ho- grabs his chest. He's like, "You had me going there for a second. <laughs> Better than his cameo in Little Women. Now that we're in real talk, my Little Women. Um, <laughs> this movie looks great. Costuming is fantastic. Set design, just everything about it is uh, on the fucking money. So it's worth bringing up that the movie was nominated for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy at the uh, 77th Golden Globe Awards. Lost to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was nominated alongside Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, and Rocket Man. Meanwhile, what was happening? Why didn't. Eddie Murphy get an Oscar nomination. Explain this to me, Alex. What was what was the competition like? Well, f- he did get a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, alongside, <laughs> what's uh, Cam on Modern Family say? You you win an Oscar, you buy a Golden Globe. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. He was lo- nominated alongside Leonardo DiCaprio, Roman Griffin Davis, Daniel Craig for Knives. What the fuck are these men? And <laughs> Taron Egerton. Uh huh. It's that kid, the new Robin Hood. Cool. That's who won. For Robin Hood or for Kingsman? For uh, Rocket Man. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Played uh, uh, Elton John. Well, you know who won for best lead actor that year? 2019? You do. Will it make me mad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Went to our. Oh, our... Joaquin. Joe Quinn Phoenix for Joker as Arthur Fleck Joker alongside the nominations of Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Good stuff. Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Adam Driver and Boring Story. (laughs) And uh, Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Man, I love Price and I like The Two Popes, but that's the one that I would have probably knocked out to make room for Eddie Murphy. And then supporting. So Wesley Snipes was beat out by. Uh, yeah, that, that was the year Brad got his Oscar. So I, <laughs> I don't really want to change that. But uh, and then Anthony Hopkins, the two popes, Tom Hanks, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And uh, Al and Joe from the Irishman. You know, there was that story or not story, but stories. And, you know. Rumor and innuendo that he didn't win Dreamgirls just because of the choices he's made in the movies he's done and that the Academy doesn't want to, you know, award people like that. Sandler, Uncut Gems. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. But I can see it a little more with Uncut Gems because that movie's not for everyone. And I think The Dolomite Is My Name is a little more mainstream. When he was, quote unquote, snubbed by the Academy. That. <laughs> I forget what award show he was at when he had that speech. It was so fucking good. Uh, yeah. Those old fuckers that work in the Academy would probably all had panic attacks or fucking went into cardiac arrest watching uh, Uncut Gems. Fuck that, Jerry, man. Critics don't know nothing. Critics don't even, I don't even know why they come out in the first place. They don't even like to have fun. Nobody care what the critics say. And besides, everybody knows when the brothers go to movies, they want to see car crashes, explosions, and titties. And we've delivered that. Show did. All right, Julio. Much discussion has been had. 
think it now comes down to nut cutting time as we wrap up here with Dolomite is my name. Uh, went with a four-star review on Letterbox, citing the tremendous quote, no titties, no funny, no kung fu. And uh, <laughs> I'll let that translate to a B plus. And the reason for that is it is very, it's very formulaic. There's some aspects of it that, I appreciate them not diving further into at the sake of the runtime because if they wanted, they could have easily made this a two and a half hour movie, Mm -hmm. but it's fine. Also just acknowledging like, eh, this is just what we want to tell. This is, this is how we want to say it. And this is what we want it to be. There are aspects of it that we talked about that seem a little too easy. Again, it's a movie. I get it. But for some of the, real life issues that he's faced with in terms of getting financing and and not having a distributor some of the other things he gets through with the breeze it's kind of like well hold on a second and um it's it's fine it's perfectly fine it's a good movie and it's a very straightforward telling of it with some good performances and uh just a a really fun time so yeah i'll give it a b plus with a, a hearty recommendation julio where you landed so after watching it the first time, I gave it four stars. And I think I'm going to stick with four stars. It's very tempting to to make it higher just because mm-hmm. there is – it's just – I would say, you know, it's a perfect crowd pleaser. There, yeah. But I am, I am torn because there's two sides of my brain. And there's the side that really appreciates this, this sort of celebration of, of – just not giving up and and just the, the can do attitude and it's like you have a dream you pursue that dream until the end and then you're rewarded and all that stuff I, like I think that there's a there's a time and a place for those stories and they belong in in the mythology that we tell ourselves as, as a society but then I, especially the older you get you know it's like it's the other side of the brain that that recognizes that that's not all there is to it and that you know sometimes it just doesn't work out like you can it, Luck has a, a, a role to play in all these stories. And I don't think that Dolomite is my name acknowledges that, yeah, he was a talented entertainer. He was pretty savvy about certain aspects of, you know, how to self-promote and how to like, and, and you know, he had the spirit of not giving up, but he was also really lucky. And I don't think that the movie makes that point. And I, I think that maybe because making that point would maybe diminish the, the, <laughs> You know, if you say like, well, yeah, he was great, but also he was lucky. So that that makes it feel like the message is diminished of like, oh, well, all you have to do is push forward, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's, I don't know, like I said, the, the older you get, I think it's, you start kind of like maybe resenting a movie that doesn't point that out. Uh, because the world is more complex than what the movie is depicting. And I think that depending on the day, you know, watching a movie like Dolomite is my name is it might be exactly what I need to just get inspired and do that thing that I've been wanting to do or do that thing that maybe I wasn't sure that I wanted to do. And then on a different day, it may annoy me a little bit that it's a movie that is kind of trivializing the struggle <laughs> that it is to, yeah. to, you know, to take a chance and to to quite possibly fail, you know? And, and it could be misread, I think, uh, as in saying, well, if it didn't work out for you, it's because you didn't try hard enough. And that's not the case. You know, a lot of people try really hard, as hard as they could, and they could and they're just not as lucky as uh Rui Ray Lewin Moore. Davis. 
Exactly. Well, he was kind of an asshole. So. Oh yeah, he was a huge dick. But yeah, <laughs> you could you could always point at least to that, you know, and say like, well, his problem was his attitude. But if I'm in a good, you know, if I'm feeling like I'm vibing with the movie, and somebody brought that criticism, I would just tell them that they're overthinking Dolomite is my name. <laughs> but then there may be days where I'm overthinking Dolomite is my name, and I, and just feel like I can't really say it's a perfect movie because it's it's lacking that. So. I don't know. I still, it's it's a great time. I would recommend it to anybody. Uh, man, if there's somebody that, and, and I know we've made this point before whenever we've covered that, an Eddie Murphy movie, you know, if there's somebody that's not familiar with the work of Eddie Murphy and they know him from just the, the really bland mainstream stuff that he's done, like Daddy Daycare, <laughs> then you show him this. That's that that has to be eye opening, and uh, I I think it's good. I think it needs to be celebrated. So, yeah, I'm gonna gonna land on four stars. If you catch me on the right day, I might tell you it's a five star. It has the heart of a five star movie. It's fair enough, and I agree. Sometimes ain't a damn thing wrong being a crowd pleaser. So, Dan, thank you, brother. It was a good one to add to the canon, and a good movie that I will most certainly revisit in the future. Speaking of the future and looking to it, Julio, what is on deck next? Man, we're going to close the main feed with, I don't know what this is. It's called Color Out of Space. It has Nicolas Cage, the poster. It's coming to us courtesy of Patron Jordan Manns. I don't I remember seeing the trailer for this at, uh, in theater a few years ago, but we'll, we'll find out together, man. Is it Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage or is it Nicolas Cage? Like Nicolas Cage and Pig. I just saw. Uh, I don't think it's quite Pig. I just saw the trailer once, but I remembered it because it was very colorful and very like, "What the fuck is this?" So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll definitely figure it out together. All right. Well, that's coming up next. All of you, watch Color Out of Space, so you so you don't rely entirely on us trying to explain whatever weirdness is going on in the movie. All right. That's up next. That concludes our episode on Dolomite Is My Name. Julio, is it time to get out of here? It is time to get out of here, so let's do that. All right, we'll move into our perennial plugs. We'll start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser is the man behind our logo. He did our logo. He did all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. The little tomato, looking at itself in the mirror, doing other things, depending on what design you're looking at. Uh, that's all Hans's work. You can check out more of his work on his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. You can reach him on Twitter, at Mildemonios. You can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Just tell him how much you enjoy his work. Let him know if you've read any of his novels. He's written a whole bunch of fantasy novels, which are zombie novels. And he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com, the industry standard in the world of uh, professional wrestling podcasting. They continue to support us, so we do the same for them. If you are into the sport of kings, be sure to head over to LateNightGrin.com. Tell them Contrarian Alex sent you. And as always, for the ongoing support, we thank our social media team, Zoe Perez, Corey Ari. Corey continues to just fucking hit dingers, knock them out of the park with these uh, video or uh, warm-ups, as we call them. 
also piecing together some of our quick video reviews. So really appreciate the effort that y'all uh, put in for us. Uh, Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. What else we got? Instagram at Contrarian Prime. And, of course, our Twitter's in the bumpers. So social media team, keep rocking. That's the worst is when your company tells you, you're a rock star. So uh, <laughs> we won't patronize y'all. We'll just say you do fucking great work, and we really appreciate it. And most importantly, we appreciate you, our adoring public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. This summer of 1999